0: We're reading from Acts chapter 16, beginning at verse 6. They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia and were prevented by the Holy Spirit from speaking the message in Asia. When they came to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So by passing Mysia, they came down to Troas. During the night, a vision appeared to Paul. A Macedonian man was standing and pleading with him, cross over to Macedonia and help us. After he had seen the vision, we immediately made efforts to set out for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to evangelise them. Then setting sail from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, the next day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, a Roman colony, which is a leading city of that district of Macedonia. We stayed in that city for a number of days, On the Sabbath day, we went outside the city gate by the river, where we thought there was a place of prayer. We sat down and spoke to the women gathered there. A woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who worshipped God, was listening. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was spoken by Paul. After she and her household were baptised, she urged us, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, "'Come and stay at my house,' and she persuaded us. "'Once, as we were on our way to prayer, "'a slave girl met us who had a spirit of prediction. "'She made a large profit for her owners by fortune-telling. "'As she followed Paul and us, she cried out, "'These men who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation "'are the slaves of the Most High God.' "'And she did this for many days.' But Paul was greatly aggravated and turning to the spirit said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out right away. When when her owners saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. Bringing them before the chief magistrates, they said, These men are seriously disturbing our city. They are Jews and are promoting customs that are not legal for us as Romans to adopt or practice. Then the mob joined in the attack against them, and the chief magistrates stripped off their clothes and ordered them to be beaten with rods. After they had inflicted many blows on them, they threw them in jail, ordering the jailer to keep them securely guarded. Receiving such an order, he put them into the inner prison and secured their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a violent earthquake that the foundations of the jail were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains came loose. When the jailer woke up and saw the doors of the prison open, he drew his sword and was going to kill himself since he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul called out in a loud voice, Don't harm yourself, because all of us are here. When the jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas, then he escorted them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the message of the Lord to him, along with everyone in his house. He took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. Right away, he and all his family were baptised. He brought them into his house, set a meal before them and rejoiced because he had believed God and with his entire household. When daylight came, the chief magistrate sent the police to say, ''Release those men.'' The jailer reported these words to Paul, ''The magistrates have sent orders for you to be released.'' So come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They beat us in public without a trial, although we are Roman citizens, and threw us in jail. And now are they going to smuggle us out secretly? Certainly not. On the contrary, let them come themselves and escort us out. Then the police reported these words to the magistrates. They were afraid when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them, and escorting them out, they urged them to leave town. After leaving the jail, they came to Lydia's house, where they saw and encouraged the brothers, and departed. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks, Lindell. Please do keep that passage open. Uh, during the week, I was, I was reading uh, something where a guy was trying to say that um, uh, the world is no longer just sort of... Um, Blase about Christianity. Like, you know, the world used to be a little bit like, oh, we don't really care, you're irrelevant, go to the side. And now things are a bit more venomous. The world's kind of a little more against religion. Do you agree? That sort of sense? I certainly think we're kind of getting that way. Um, So a little while ago, Christopher Hitchens wrote, uh, religion poisons everything. um, And I think that's kind of sinking in a bit. I don't just think. In 2007, a poll of over 2,000 uh, Brits was done, and 42% of them said they believed religion was harmful. Um, Our faith is not so acceptable as it once was. Now, I think that kind of thing, if we feel like that is the the case, I think that can leave us with some uncertainties as Christians. Like, is that true? (laughs) Is it really harmful? Uh, and also, is our faith kind of weak? Should we be retreating? Well, tonight I want Acts to give possibly uncertain people certainty. And I want, if you're not a Christian, for it to give you something to chew on, something to think on. Because you see, Acts is all about certainty. Luke's the guy who's written this book, and he's writing to a guy named Theophilus, who's probably a Roman Christian, and he's quite uncertain. You see, Paul, the apostle, who's been telling everyone about Jesus, is under house arrest. What does that mean? Is, this, is Paul kind of a troublemaker? Is he harmful? Is, is Christianity weak? This guy can just get, you know, chained up? Is their God weak? So Luke writes Acts and Luke to try to counter these uncertainties in Theophilus. And my prayer is that this passage will counter some uncertainties in us as well. Is Jesus weak? Is he losing? No. The word of the Lord is advancing. Is it harmful, our faith? No. It sets people free. We're going to look at the action scene by scene, and we're going to start with the first one, God guides his advancing word. So Paul and Silas have been visiting churches in eastern Turkey that they know about, and they've been delivering The decision of the council, do you remember that last week? The council's decision, you're saved by grace alone. You don't have to become Jewish. And then they they try to keep on going, but something strange happens in verses 6 to 10. Somehow the Spirit of God hems them in, prevents them from speaking. They can't go south, they can't go north, they can only go west. And they end up in Troas, right on the coast, way out west towards Rome. And then they have this vision, and so they cross over the sea and land in Philippi, the kind of heartland of Roman power. Now, I think what we can see from this is that God actually is the one driving his mission, which we've been seeing in Acts so far, and God's mission isn't always our mission. Sometimes his plans are different to our plans. Sometimes they're bigger. And God sovereignly leads by his spirit, his people in this mission, in this big mission of his. God's plans aren't always our plans. Dan Optive is leaving us. That's not our plan. Your friend rejects you when you tell them about Jesus. Our ministry flops. Okay. God's plans aren't always our plans. And he is the one who's making his word advance. He is the one who is guiding people to speak of Jesus. He's the Lord of his mission. We just need to follow him faithfully. Well, that's scene one, but I just want to point one thing out to you before we move on. Verse 10, look at that with me. Just a random side note. After he had seen the vision, we immediately, do you notice the we? This is the first we in the book so far. Luke has joined the team here old side point. There you go. Luke's part of it now. Now, second scene, uh, the Lord opens any heart. So we, including Luke, land in Philippi. Uh, Philippi is a place settled by retired Roman military men. Have you ever been to one of those towns on the coast with these massive RSLs? And there's kind of like retired Aussie blokes everywhere. And the place is very Aussie. Philippi is very Roman. It's full of RSLs, right? Uh, There's all these guys walking around with Roman eagles on the back of their calf kind of thing and on the back windscreen. Now the question we have is, how is the news about Jesus going to make any progress here in Romansville? Because the Romans trust their own power. They are the mighty ones. They trust their Caesar and their gods. The Jewish God doesn't have much of a foothold in Philippi. He doesn't even have a synagogue. So on the Sabbath day, Paul and Silas have to go out of town, uh, down by a river to find the place of Jewish prayer. And they meet a woman, Lydia. She's a dealer in in fine purple cloth, which means she's kind of top of the fashion world, basically. She's the Armani, the beckon bridge. There she is. And the point we're meant to get is she's unlikely to believe. She's rich, and in Luke Rich people don't often believe. Same in our world. And she's a Roman. Did you ever kind of get that sense around Sydney? This person's unlikely to believe. They're rich. They've got a well-paid job. They kind of see the glory all around them of success and wealth and lifestyle. Why do they need Jesus? Did you ever get that sense when you meet people? Well, that's Lydia. But here's the thing. God has his people. The word of the Lord advances. Lydia is actually a worshipper of God somehow. Verse 14, would you look at that with me? A woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who worshipped God, was listening. Here's the key. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was spoken by Paul. Do you see God's sovereign hand? Friends, every heart is locked, closed to God. But he has the key. And then how does she respond once God opens her heart? Well, verse 15, she's baptized, she joins the crew, and then she gets right on board, supporting the missionaries in their work, throws open the, the, the door to them. And what I want us to see here is that no one is beyond Jesus' lordship. I'm often amazed when when I, I hear of Christians in countries like Iraq and Syria and Pakistan. How did they get there? And every level of society. The reason that that is the case is because now, as then, this is how the word of the Lord advances. Despite what our society thinks, God is guiding his people by his spirit to speak the word of the Lord and then he's opening hearts to respond to him. It's happening. We should have confidence. And do you know what happens when he opens people's hearts? What happens as the word of the Lord advances? What happens? Good things happen. People are set free. And that's the third scene, the Lord brings freedom. So back in Philippi, there's this slave girl. And she's got this spirit on her by which she can predict the future and she's making a lot of cash for her owners. It's a bit weird, isn't it? Um, weirder still, uh, one of the brothers here has, has, has a mate who seems to be able to predict the future sometimes and it's made him very successful in business. And get this, he has visions of snakes sometimes. That's weird, right? You know what's even weirder? Literally, this slave girl in Philippi has a python spirit. Ooh, Weird. Anyway, let's try to leave that by the side and carry on. This slave girl is good business for her masters, as you can imagine. But when she meets Paul and the gang, she starts following them around like a bad smell. Verse 17. As she followed Paul and us, she cried out, these men who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation are the slaves of the most high God. And she did this for many days. But Paul was greatly aggravated and turning to the spirit said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And I came out right away. Uh, please just notice quickly, she says they are slaves of the most high God. What's his name? In the name of Jesus Christ. And what is the work of this God, most high God, Jesus Christ? To set people free. He sets her free. She's been tormented by an evil spirit for years. She's been used by her owners, but Jesus sets her free, gives her back herself. He is good. And this is what Jesus is on about, friends. Society out there might say, Christianity is harmful. I, I beg to differ. Jesus is on about freedom. You know, Luke chapter 4, right at the beginning of the story of Jesus, one of the first things he says is, I have come to set the captives free, to set people free from sin and from the fear of death by the blood of Jesus and the power of his spirit, to set people free from living for this world, living for emptiness and finding their hands empty. He sets people free from things like addictions and loving wealth and overworking and bitterness and selfishness, and I've seen it time and time again, and it's wonderful. I've seen it in many of you. It's wonderful. After I finish preaching, there's going to be a chance for you to get up here and share with us how he has set you free. It might be totally mundane. That's okay. I'd love for you to encourage us. Witness to Jesus' power to set people free. Because this is the work of Jesus. And here in Philippi, we get a little picture of that. But there's a tragedy Scene 4. The world resists the Lord's freedom. So look with me at verse 19. When her owners saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged him into the marketplace to the authorities. Do you see? That's all she was to them. Their hope of profit. That's awful, isn't it? That's pitiful. Freedom, no, 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 loss of economy. It's like when the Lord Jesus sets sex slaves free in Bangkok and their pimps get angry at the Christians. So the owners drag Paul and Silas before the local magistrates. I kind of think of the scene, I imagine the magistrates saying, so what's the problem? And they kind of think, well, oh, we can't tell the truth, the selfish truth. And what they say, though, is a stroke of genius. Check it out in verse 20. Verse 20, bringing them before the chief magistrates, they say, these men are seriously disturbing our city. Brilliant. (laughs) You're in Rome, basically. What do Romans love? Peace. The Pax Romana. These men are seriously disturbing our city. Good shot. one. Well done. Carrying on. They are Jews and are promoting customs that are not legal for us as Romans to adopt or practice. Good angle. They're telling, you know, that they're un-Australian or something. That's what they're saying. The actual heart of the issue becomes a bit clearer in the next chapter. Would you look over with me at chapter 17 and verse 6? Because Paul and Silas carry on from Philippi to Thessalonica, and just the same, they get in trouble again. So chapter 17 and verse 6. When... Their enemies did not find Paul and Silas. They dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city officials, shouting, These men, who have turned the world upside down, have come here too. And Jason has received them as guests. They're all acting contrary to Caesar's decrees, saying there is another king, Jesus. So the big issue is that they're worshipping another king. They're living as though there's some other guy who's in authority calling the shots. They're living differently, different values, different kind of way of life, and the world doesn't like it. Friends, when you march to a different drumbeat to the world, it'll cause trouble. Like, you know, If you stay quiet about it, stay in your little corner and don't say anything, it'll be fine. But as soon as you start standing up, questioning things, questioning people's values and morals, As soon as you sort of question the forward march of moral relativity and kind of the, the supremacy of individual choice, you question that, there'll be trouble. Keep your views about marriage to yourself, you Christian bigots, as an example. But I do hope you can see how trumped up the charges are against Paul. Luke is trying to make this very clear for Theophilus. Paul is not actually a troublemaker. He's just proclaiming Jesus. That's the trouble. I think we can learn a lesson here, friends. If the world's going to accuse us of causing trouble as Christians, it mustn't be because we're troublemakers. It mustn't be because we're guilty. It must only be because we proclaim Jesus and live for him. Yes, the world will resist him, but they'll be resisting the freedom that the Lord Jesus brings. And that's the last scene, freedom in the Lord Jesus, last scene. Because there is, of course, one other moment of freedom in our, in our passage here, um, and I'm not talking about the jailbreak, I'm talking about the jailer himself. Of course, he's in a pretty pickle, isn't he? Look at verse 27 with me. There's been this earthquake, all the jail doors are open, the shackles are falling off, everyone's uh, feet or whatever. And verse 27, when the jailer woke and saw the doors of the prison open, he drew his sword and was going to kill himself since he thought the prisoners had escaped. Remember when Peter escaped from prison, verse chapter 12? And Herod executed all the guards? So Paul calls out and says, hey, hold it, mate. No, 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 we're all here. Stops the guy from suiciding. But but the jailer is in a total he his mind's in a whirl. he doesn't know what to think, and he and he runs in before Paul and Silas and, and bows down, trembling as if these guys are God or something, and he asks the classic question Verse thirty Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Did you get asked that question? Someone's laughing. No, not often. Now, before we jump in and look at the answer to this question, uh, let's be clear about what he's asking. Is the jailer running in and saying, please tell me how to go to heaven and not hell? Is he running in and saying, please help me to know how to find peace with a righteous God while while I'm a sinner? Maybe. Again, our our friends don't ask us those kind of questions very often. Maybe he's asking something a bit different. Maybe he's running in and saying, oh my goodness, I'm up the creek without a paddle. Uh, There's a big problem here. Criminals everywhere. No chains on their wrists. I'm in trouble and you guys seem to be, someone help. And so other translations have, have translated this verse as something like this. Sirs, please help me out of this mess. Well, now that's a little more concrete. Let's see how Paul responds. Verse 31, so they said, believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the message of the Lord to him along with everyone in his house. Do notice there's a big focus on everyone in his house here. But I love the answer. It's so simple, isn't it? Uh, And yet completely profound. Uh, Have you seen the movie Pulp Fiction? Yeah, it's an old movie now, good movie. Um, do you remember the character, The Wolf? Yeah, there's a guy, he's called The Wolf. He's kind of the fixer opera. And so the two gangsters, have, uh, they're in a pretty pickle as well. They've made a complete mess of their car. We won't say how. And they call in The Wolf to fix the problem. And The Wolf kind of turns up and goes, right, you guys need X, Y, and Z. You need to do Y, uh, you need to do these things, do it now. Great, thank you, The Wolf. Um, now, Paul could have come and been The Wolf. You know, the jailer says, save me from this mess. Right, mate, what you need is 10 more guards, you need a couple of shackles, and you need a bag of cement, right? And we're often that. Your friends come to you and say, oh, look, you know, I've got problems with my job, relationships, you know, my weight, my fitness, whatever it is. And we say, oh, you should write a letter. You know, you need to get a new job. Have you tried lip balm? You know, very practical. We're like the wolf. Uh, Paul's answer is, well, first of all, gracious. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. No, do it, do it, do it, the wolf, nothing. He delivers the message that we heard last week. But second of all, his answer to the question dives down deep. You might, you might be thinking, actually, you know what, Dan? If, if the guy's question is, save me out of this mess that I'm in, then Paul doesn't answer his question. Actually, he does. It's just that he takes the the, the, the situation deep, deep, deep. It's as if Paul says to him, buddy, your problems are so much deeper than you realize. The issue you're in is like this small little picture of a much, much bigger problem, which is sin, right? The fact that we have rebelled against God, we worship God, wrong things. We give our life to silly things. We, we break relationships. We destroy our planet. That's the big problem. This is just a small picture of this. And what's the answer to the big problem? Believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved by the blood of Jesus. You'll be forgiven. You'll be rescued out of this world and given a new future. And if that's the answer to the big problem, isn't it the answer to the little problem as well? Believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved is the answer to every problem. Your friends' relationship problems, their weight problems, their job problems. Do you believe that? I'd say I haven't been a pastor for very long, but I tell you that's what I'm telling everyone always in different words. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You might be thinking, Dan, what are you talking about? I'm not convinced. How does that work? Well... When you trust in Jesus as Lord, everything changes. Not your circumstances necessarily. Think of the jailer. He's still got a jail with doors broken, prisoners running around everywhere. But look how he changes. Verse 34. He ran into them before, totally a mess. But verse 34 he brought them into his house, set a meal before them, and rejoiced. He's changed. His whole outlook has been turned upside down. And isn't your outlook kind of where it's at? You've probably had this experience I've had. Life's kind of crazy and you're feeling like, oh, I'm sinking here. And a few days later, life's just as crazy. And you're thinking, it's okay. It's a matter of outlook. So what changes his outlook then? It's right there in verse 34. He rejoiced because he had believed God with his entire household. That's what's changed things for him. Through the word of Jesus, he has encountered God. He has learned what God is really like. When you know what God is really like, it's quite important because he's the one who makes everything and defines reality. And this man has now just discovered that God, the one who defines all things, has forgiven him that this God has given him hope, that this God actually loves him. This God is his master who is greater than Caesar, greater than the magistrates. He's discovered a God who has given him a new way of life, which is good and purposeful. And he rejoices. Friends, can I suggest that what's just gone on here is a good, is a good pattern of evangelism. It's a good way to talk to people about Jesus. You say to them, uh, Have you thought about your eternal destiny, whether you're going to heaven or hell? It doesn't always connect. But when your friend brings an issue to you, you can always say, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. Probably in different words. I'll be awkward otherwise. Your boyfriend's just broken up with you. Well, that's terrible. I'm really, I'm really sorry to hear that. And you'd say that a bit more. And then, you know, when I'm feeling. Like that, kind of like worthless, rejected. I need to remember that the only one who really matters has accepted me and loves me and has given himself for me and will never reject me. That's the Lord Jesus. Have you, can I encourage you to kind of to check him out? Because I'm confident he can help you too. Do you see what I mean? Jesus is always the answer. But I wonder if you believe that. You might be here this evening and you've got all sorts of issues going on. Can I say, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved forever. And now, in a way. So look to Jesus. He is good. He is in the business of setting people free. I said a whole bunch of stuff tonight. Let me just close with these two kind of summary statements. One, the word of the Lord is still advancing. Um, God guides people sovereignly by his spirit to speak the word of the Lord, and then he unlocks their hearts. And second, is Jesus harmful? Well, yeah, he is in a way, but not if you believe in him. Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be set free, saved. You'll rejoice. Like I said, I'd love for you to come and witness to us of how Jesus has maybe set you free in a way. Um, you might just want to share otherwise about uh, how the Lord, uh, you've seen the word of the Lord advancing in your life or just the lives of others. That'd be great. Um, You can share anything else as well if you want, but we'd love to focus on those things. I'm going to pray for us and then feel free to come and join us. Join us. Share with us. That's what I mean. (laughs) Lord God, we do want to thank you so much that you're in the business of setting people free. Um, We praise you for your grace. Um, We praise you for your kindness. Lord, we do ask, please, that you'd help us look to you, um, our good God uh, who sets us free. We pray, please, you'd give us confidence and help us open our mouths and speak of you and your grace. Amen.